Our first movie tells the story of a friendship behind prison walls that spans more than 20 years. So welcome to episode 26 of Middle Ground Madness, an exercise in podcast hubris. My name is Derek Gaudi. I'm Isabel Arf. Derek, I have another quiz for you. Not a quiz so much as oh, it's no. a test. Uh, <laughs> um, I have, let's say, I have an instruction manual for a device uh-huh. uh, for me. Uh, there's okay. eight. There's eight parts of the instruction manual, like eight little steps to get it uh, working. Uh-huh. And I want you to buzz in uh, when you think you've got it. Uh, okay. If we here's the here's the problem. If we get to number eight, eight will very much reveal what it is. We'll give it away. Okay. All yes. right. Um. So actually, what I might do is I have if we get if if we get through all seven and you don't have it, I also have three very short product reviews that might help you out. <laughs> all right. Let's. Uh, okay. This is everyone this play is, along at home too. Man. Uh. All right. Let's let's see. Okay. I'm assuming I automatically assume it's a sex thing. So that's where I'm going. <laughs> You don't know that. I don't. That's a guess. Yeah. Um, and I will be um, not including the name of the thing because I don't want you to be able to Google it. I don't think you would cheat, but just in case. I'm an honest man. Okay. So, user guide. Instructions for using the app. One, scan the QR code below to download the app. Pretty good so far. That's number one. Two, yes. Okay. Can I guess? Uh, sure. Um, There's no way you have it. I swear to Christ. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to like wild stab in the dark. It's going to be an okay. You know what? Internet of Things Diva Cup. Uh, no. Okay. Um, but number two, after you have registered to the app and logged in, that's step two. That is what that is the whole oh, okay. for step two. Well, that doesn't help at, at all. It's something that you would need an account for. That doesn't um, really narrow th- it down. Number three, to connect the device to your phone, tap the plus symbol at the bottom right hand corner of the screen. You can connect the device to your phone through Bluetooth pairing. On the next page, you will see a picture of the device. Tap that picture to start the connection process. Is this... Go for it. Is this one of those, like... Is this like a... Like a... Like a, a Bluetooth vibrator or some shit? Uh, you're a little warmer. Okay. Uh, but not quite there. Am I, am I in the in right fact, area in so, in of the body? In some ways, you're on the, you're on the opposite side of things. Uh, oh, can I change my guess immediately? Not until I do the next step. Okay. You get one guess per step. That's a new okay. new rule okay. term that I'm instigating right now. <laughs> uh, number four, after successfully connecting your phone to the device, you'll be redirected to the home screen. Your device is now connected to your account. So what's your other guess? Is it an Internet of Things butt plug? Nope. Number five, to select who can unlock the device, you first have to add a friend. Tap on the friends icon in the home screen, followed by tapping the <sighs> add icon in the right-hand corner of the following screen. Search for the ID number of your friend in the search ID tab bar and tab search. An Multiple ID number can be found on the home screen under the home menu item, me. Can I ask a 20-question style question? Oh, that feels unfair. Okay, never mind. Um, okay. <laughs> I, fe- I, I feel like I gotta be in the right area because it's in the spirit of the show. Is it some kind of Internet of Things chastity device? Ding, 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 Yeah! Derek, got you it! Have divi- 
you have devised what the cellmate device is. Oh my god. Uh, it is an Internet of Things chastity device um, mm. for people with penises and testicles. Oh my god. Uh, you put it in your dick and it locks it as long as the app says it should be locked for. Uh, apparently the battery lasts up to one year. Um, and I want to <laughs> read some of these reviews because they're very good. All right. Oh, um, so, cellmate chassis device is a five-star review. I have never been so pleased with the product. I love wearing the cellmate and my bowels. <laughs> Sorry. Wait, my bowels? Hold up, hold up, hold up. And my balls are ah, now bowl quality. <laughs> they are now, uh, now my- bowl quality? Now my balls hang much lower than my cock. I am so happy. Thank you for the wonderful device. I mean, my uh, balls already do that. I don't need no fucking special device. Well, look at look at low ha- low hanging Derek over here. His <laughs> big balls hanging low. Um, this one, I I just really liked the the phrasing of it. It sounds like someone didn't quite know how to speak. You know. So you know what? I'll, yes. I'll, let me just pump the brakes on this. I love that that first review cracked you up. Because presumably you read it before the show. Well, yeah. <laughs> but and I mean, like, <laughs> I, a, I'm a child, and the phrase "balls" are now of bowl, bowl quality. <laughs> yeah. Like B U L L. Bowl, yeah, B U L L, capitalized B U L L. Talk about a bowl market, huh? Anyways, <laughs> uh, next review, five stars. I find that the feeling of wearing my trousers is becoming more normal. <laughs> That's a great sentence. I know. That's why I love it. Because, like... <laughs> it doesn't even sound like a sex thing. It's just like, hey, my trousers are fitting better. Oh, um, one actually gets accustomed with each day. I but, finally get pants now. It is not unpleasant, but for me, very pleasant. I must say that wow. my feelings for my wife became more intense. I have to spoil and crush her even more. <laughs> Without ulterior motives, she allows me to orgasm. This is a this is a journey that you've sent us on there, Isabel. You gotta read another one though. You promised three. I love the phrase without ulterior motives. Okay, here's the third one. Third one is the longest one. This was gonna be like the reveal, essentially. Okay. That's my plan. So Oh, like the other is... two weren't going to give it away. I mean, hey, I was gonna like leave out some details. Okay. Okay. So, uh this is a four star review. So not the full five stars. Fiddly, but worth it. <laughs> what a piece of kit. I've been using chassis devices since 2002, when the old CB3000 first appeared, and I've tried virtually every non-pierced variety there is. This fantastic little device is by far the comfiest I've tried on. The app that controls the amazing device is a bit fiddly to set up, but once my queen, capitalized, obviously, uh-huh. and I had finally figured it out, we're in our 40s, technology is still sci-fi to us. I love that. I love, Come like, on. little moments of, of, like, just boomerness in these reviews. Uh, we have some serious fun testing out the request for release option. Uh, she loves saying no via the app now. <laughs> One issue we did have, and this is what I want to, this is why I'm reading this, because I want to warn people in case they're going to buy this. Okay. In case any of our viewers need a chassis device, an, an Internet of Things chassis device specifically, which I have some comments on after I, re- after I finish reading this. <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> One issue we did have on first wearing the device to test the release mechanism, and the reason the device gets four stars is that I hadn't quite lined the device up properly with the ring, causing the locking pin to jam. This caused a moment of panic for her, but not for me, as that just played to my permanently locked wishes. But for less experienced users, I can see this would be coming worrying very quickly. Still, a fantastic piece of kit, well worth a look if you're handing over full control of your cock to someone else without worrying about losing keys. 
And then the final line of the review, you need this. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I do not. Um, so the reason I find this idea so fascinating. This is like a fucking Black Mirror episode. It's <laughs> because, like, obviously, I, I think our audience is aware that chassis devices are a thing, I uh-huh. believe. I mean, <laughs> if they're not, we hate to break it to are. you, but now they are. It's weird that you have to learn this way, though. <laughs> the The old ones are analog. There's uh-huh. a key, there's a lock, and you're good to go. This one, I have concerns about. Because, like, I was checking out FAQs. I was trying to find a troubleshooting guide for, uh-huh. like, what happens if something goes wrong with the device. And apparently, um, <laughs> <laughs> so, from what I could find, no one knows what happens, or no one knows there's a, if there's a way to unlock it if one of you happens to lose your phone and no longer has access to your account. There's got to be a failsafe. I know, like, a failsafe is almost, like, against the spirit of the operation. There is a failsafe, but that failsafe is that when the battery gets down to 15%, it'll automatically unlock. Okay. Which is, okay, that's good. Here's the issue. The battery has a life of a year to a year and a half. So you've got to wait uh, about 10 months if it's a full uh, charge? Yes, if it's a full charge. So that's so a while get- wait. Yeah, if I get my if I get my dick cut in one of these by accident, I don't. <laughs> if you I don't, just happen I, to be like if I just if you fall into one if it's just yeah, like if hanging I, out on your couch and you happen to lay on it. Yeah, if I fall dick first into an Internet of Things <laughs> chastity device, which sounds like its own special kind of hell. <laughs> um. Yeah, that means it, now we're in May, so that means I would have to wait until my thirty third birthday. <laughs> <laughs> but what a birthday present that would be, Derek! Yeah, like release. I'd finally be able to piss again. I don't know how uh, these you, work. Uh, there's there's a hole in the top. You can piss through it. Okay, cool. That'd be a pretty as, bad chassis device if like you had to take it off every like five hours. As long as as long as I can piss. Um. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine. Uh, I can't imagine like a weirder bummer than to get a a, a push notification that says no, <laughs> re re my dick getting released. I mean. I feel like, okay, not to dive too deep into this hole that we've opened up now. Um, uh, your yeah, fault. <laughs> I'm moving past that. Um, is I feel like that would be the best notification you could get. If you were someone who is into this 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 kink. I'm, I'm, uh-huh. I'm, I'm imagining, obviously, Derek, this is clearly not me as sure. a human being. I clearly sure. don't own three of these. Parody, parody. Parody, hashtag parody. Um I feel like that's that's like the thing you want is like oh like if you were at work and you get the like thing it's like nope you're gonna stay in there too bad that's like that's the ideal if they're just like oh yeah just take it off whatever that I feel like is against the spirit of the operation. All right, I'll take your word for it. Um, and then I just want to finish this up with uh, there's a section in the in the what do you call it manual called matters that need your attention. <laughs> um, <laughs> really now. <laughs> I really, I really like that phrase. That's so, a good, that might be the episode's title. Um, it is recommended to clean the cellmate at least twice a week. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. Do not, and this is that's in all caps. Do not wear the cellmate device while swimming or diving. Bathing, however, is fine. Huh. Okay. Do not immerse in water or any other liquids for lengths of time. Suggested not to wear it for longer than fourteen days. Um, under any circumstances of congestion, swelling, or obvious pain, you should stop wearing the device immediately. Hopefully congestion. <laughs> I liked that phrase especially because it's like, like you, you have to like blow your dick to get like the snot out of it. What like, is the congestion going on there? 
Yeah, I was wondering, like, what's congestion? Like, the other part Like, a lot of traffic in your, like, in your urethra that's causing, like, a congested area there? (laughs) Uh, Like, do chastity devices give, like, colds or sinus sinus infections (laughs) that I'm not aware of? You can get some that have, like, urethral plugs in them, and I feel like that might be an issue, but this one does not have that, so I don't know where the congestion is coming from. You want to run that by me one more time? So there are some chassis devices, Derek, uh-huh. that have plugs that go on the tip of your penis, uh, and, you know, that's just how it is. Okay, so I reiterate my question from before. What if you need to pee? Well, there's, like, a, like most of the ones I've seen have, like a, like, a little threaded screw on the top, so you can unscrew it and just, like, your pee falls out. Okay, so your dick is still plugged, but you can you can you can un- you can unscrew the top of it like a little body of, a bottle of soda pop. Well, like flat soda pop, yeah. Okay. Oh boy. Well, thanks um, for that adventure, there, Isabel. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, just uh, and then last one. Sorry, this item is for novelty only. So. Oh yeah, sure. Parody, parody, parody. Hashtag parody. Uh, so Derek, usually wow. We- <laughs> usually we talk about let's be honest usually we do talk about dicks for a big portion of the podcast but yeah yeah we at we the do, moment we, we don't sure do what are we talking about um so yeah so what do we do on this pod i mean back in the before times uh isabel here um took a screenshot of the internet movie database's top 250 films of all time and put them all into a single elimination bracket uh we added uh, six movies of our own that were just bubbling under to make 256 and we're pinning them off in pairs until we get to the greatest movie of all time, Asterisk. Um, we are, and I've got my handy dandy little um, my handy dandy little bracket here. There are 128 matchups. Um, well, how about this? Right now we have 78 matchups left in round one. That's a lot, Derek. Yeah, we've done a lot, but we have a lot more to go. Oh boy. Yeah. We're in for that's the long haul. That's thirty six episodes left. Yep, for round one. That's not even counting the other rounds. Yeah, because so round one, not, round we're one still is definitely not even halfway through. Round one is sixty four episodes, so we're not halfway yet. We're almost halfway, but we're not halfway yet. Long oh, haul, no boy. Yeah, we're like truckers right now. That's right. We're we are we are movie truckers. We are like space truckers, like an alien. I was gonna say like convoy, but you know, <laughs> going to go with Con- a vulgar reference. <laughs> uh, I bet Convoy holds up. Do you? Do you though? I mean, Chris Christopherson and Ernest Borgnine in a trucker movie from the seventies. Yeah, I mean, is it is it as good as Mother Jugs and Speed? <laughs> Doesn't have a better name. Uh, what are we doing? What is this podcast, Eric? We have to we have to like do the thing eventually. <laughs> we've so been we recording have... for forty minutes. So we've we had... haven't talked so we... about any of these fucking movies. We will. Uh, people come for the banter. Uh, so we have all of these. We have these two hundred and fifty-six movies. We pair them up, and eventually we get to the end. Right now we're still in round one. We do two matchups an episode, and here are the two matchups. Uh, we have uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade versus Room, and The Matrix versus The Help. One of these is going to be easier than the other. Yeah. So, well, I mean, so, for, for for me, they're both pretty easy. But I'm interested to see your opinions. Let's say, I'm in, uh, you saying that. I'm interested because I thought I knew how this was going to fall, but I guess I don't. Uh, so let's do this first one. Uh, the 111 seed, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, released in 1989, directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Jeffrey Brome, based on a story by George Lucas and Menno Mahes, 
or mages. Uh, starring Harrison Ford, Denim Elliott, Allison Dooley, John Rice Davies, Julian Glover, and Sean Connery. Um, $48 million budget, $474 million take. So you could say that it was a pretty sizable hit. You know, that it was like one of the blockbusters of the year. And I'm trying to see if it had any kind of like... The film won the Academy Award for Best Sound Effects Editing, also being nominated for Original Score, Best Sound. Uh, so yeah, it went one for three at the uh, at the Oscars that year. Versus uh, a movie that did a lot better at the Oscars. Room, released in 2015, uh, directed by Lenny Abramson, uh, writ- uh, written by Emma Donahue based on her own book. So she adapted her own uh, her own book into a screenplay. Uh, starring Brie Larson, Jacob Tremblay, Joan Allen, Sean, Brill- uh, Sean Bridges, and William H. Macy. Uh, $13 million budget. $36.3 million take. So, a, a, a modest hit. And, uh, let's see. Let's go to this link. It was nominated for four Academy Awards, uh, with Brie Larson winning for Best Actress. So, uh, you and I, specifically, have... A, a very small but very lore important history with Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh, uh, the dim the house lights thing, right? Yes. Uh, for okay. this is for this is for real heads. Uh, so <laughs> a while back, I like I always try to I always tried to get the other dim the house lights people to do this this thing called the tournament of films, where basically we pool a bunch of movies that at least one of us has never seen into uh, a tournament you you'll see kind of a, a thread between all of the things that i like doing i do like <laughs> uh brackets as like a way to sort of organize my thoughts about art yeah. and, and, and us doing that whole thing is actually what got me to watch uh Al-Hassad balthazar for the first time so that's right eternally grateful a good movie. it's a fucking great movie masterpiece and one uh, so we did it we did it for a couple of years i think one of them was 19 19- 1960 something 1966 was one of them uh but we uh and we also did one for 1989 and indiana jones and the last crusade was in that list and ended up being the runner-up in the tournament of films and it ended up losing to tetsuo the iron man i still stand by to be fair i think tetsuo is the better movie that said uh this movie is kind of a perfect entertainment delivery device at least for me I'm interested to hear you say why, because revisiting this, I was most surprised by the fact that I didn't really like it anymore. Like, at all? I mean, it's fine, but uh, if you it, here's here, if you ask me do I want to watch Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade or National Treasure 2, I would pick National Treasure 2 right now. Okay. Because for me, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is basically, it's a, it's a rerun of Raiders, right? It's basically Raiders in shape. And uh, in execution. And see, I'm questioning now whether I actually like Raiders even. Like, watching this movie is making me question that. I mean, we will get to it because it's later up on this list. It's on this list. Um, but I, I think it's... When I say that it's a perfect sort of entertainment delivery device, it's a movie that absolutely does not let up. It's like... It's, pure, it's just action and incident and uh, banter and very, very uh, loud music cues. And I was not bored for a second during this film. I got wrapped up. This is like the second or third time I've seen this. I got instantly sort of wrapped up in its rhythms. And it basically worked its magic spell on me because that's sort of what Steven Spielberg movies do to me. Well, the good ones anyway. Like 1941 or whatever. That's your favorite movie. 
I've never seen 1941. No one's like, seen 1941. Why would you? So, so, well, you, you've seen like the weird heads on on Letterboxd, right? That's like, true. Who like stand for that movie? Yeah, but you know, Toshiro Mifune only goes so far. Yeah, isn't John Belushi in that movie as well? Sure is. That's <laughs> why I don't want to watch it because I fucking hate that asshole. May he rest in peace. <clears throat> <laughs> yes, yes. Sad, sad he died and all that, but like, he's not a funny man. Parody, parody. That's, that's, uh, that's not. That's okay. I'm. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not saying I'm glad he died. I'm okay, saying sure. he's not a funny man. That's a very different statement. <laughs> like, I don't think that uh, Jim Gaffigan is very funny either. It doesn't mean I want him to die. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, Although Jim, Gaffigan Jim Gaffigan's is probably a little funnier than John Belushi, if I had to rank them. That's that. That sounds like something that would qualify as a hot take. Uh, I just, I just don't think Jim Belushi. Like, I've never seen. Oh, okay, I was gonna say Jim Belushi, which is very different. I think we would maybe agree on Jim Belushi, but like. What are the things that John Belushi was in that was good? Everyone points to Animal House, which is a terrible film. Like, literally one of the worst ones I've ever seen. I fucking hate it. Um, there's 1941, which I've never seen. There's Blues Brothers, which I, I, I think it's because I grew up in Chicago or the Chicago suburbs. Blues Brothers just tires me out at this point. I have no good feelings for it any longer. And Saturday Night Live has never been funny, so it wasn't funny on that. So, like, the one good... Th- okay, here's, here's one thing I will praise about uh, John Belushi. Are you ready for this? All right. He got the band Fear to play on SNL, and that was a good performance. See, I, I see. I like Blues Brothers. I remember liking Animal House. I haven't watched it in like a long time. I mean, the problem that is, is has John an Landis. Well. John Landis cannot direct a film. Uh, I mean, even 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 his quote unquote good films are not very well directed. American Werewolf in London. I, that that is movie is like three good scenes and a bunch of dreck. Oof! I, I, I like you're bringing. You're bringing the, the fucking fastballs today. And I mean, like, Trading Places is very funny, but it's also probably about a half hour too long. Trading Places is, like, uh, over two hours long. It's ridiculous. It doesn't... Or almost two hours long, I should say. It does not need to be that long. I've never seen Trading Places. You... Whoa. 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 There's a lot of shit I haven't seen. You should see Trading Places. Trading Places is very funny. Uh, but like I said, it is probably... <laughs> but like, half an hour too long? About half an hour too long. Um... And I mean, okay, here, Thriller. That's maybe the one thing he's made that I wouldn't say he needs to cut down anymore. That's like 10 minutes long. Well, they're not yeah. like, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, you know what? Kentucky Fried Movie I'll go to bat for. Have you rewatched that recently? Because I don't know if you'd feel that same way if you did. Is it uh, problematic? <laughs> I mean, it is wild problematic, but I meant more in terms of like, it's, I don't think it works anymore. Like, I think there's certain segments that's at work. I mean, like any sketch movie, like, it's hit and miss. Um, here's, but- here's the thing. I we I, I hate to go on a digression. Like I recently re- rewatched Airplane, which is like the which is like the gold uh, standard the, for uh Zucker Brothers movies. Yeah, it's what it's it's probably the best stupid movie ever made. Um and that held up really well. So I think that a slightly less good version of that probably holds up as well too. We'll see. And I mean I also like uh I will slightly go to back for Schlock. I uh, seen like, Schlock. Schlock, uh, Ross made me, made me watch it for our podcast, mm-hmm. uh, and it's also too long, and it's only 80 minutes. I'd also consider it about a half hour too long, because it's got one joke, and that joke kind of gets old, but it does that joke pretty well. But the point is, I don't think that John Landis overall is a good director. He's also, you know, involuntary manslaughter and all that. Uh, but uh, And the father not, of Max Landis. And the father of Max Landis, which is probably a greater crime, if anything. Um, like, I don't, think, I don't think John Landis has made a relevant movie in my lifetime. Because coming to America was eighty eight. 
Blues Brothers 2000? You don't think that's a relevant movie? I don't think that's a relevant Burke movie. Burke and ha- The Stupids? I, I, I've seen people go to bat for The Stupids, to be fair. Uh, I always confuse that movie with Coneheads. See, I always confuse it with, um, oh my gosh, what's that movie where like uh, all the people are bugs? All the it, people are bugs? Joe's it, Apartment? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's not Joe's Apartment, asshole. Uh, <laughs> it's, um, no, it's, 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 like, it's like a suburban family, but they're bugs. Uh, is, is, is this making sense at all or not really I mean I, I can't get like an immediate read hold on I'm gonna pull up my passive popcorn torrents list because I know I downloaded it is it like the, it's not the burbs right no 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 I, I know my Tom Hanks films now there's a war criminal <laughs> man you're just bringing the heat aren't you <laughs> that, one was, parody, like, parody. That, one, that one was half sarcastic uh, did you see um, when I think did we talk about this last week? How he gave his blood and then queuing on people yeah. like he went went wild. I know we talked about it. I don't know if we talked about it on the pod. Yeah. Um, tags comedy comedy. I will know the poster as soon as I see it. It's one of those things. Also, they might not be bugs. <laughs> well, basically, like nothing I told you about this might actually be correct. It's not a movie at all. Ghost Dad. No, there's a <laughs> movie. I just saw a poster for Leonard Part Six, so we're in uh, so we're in the same headspace. Uh, I've never seen Leonard Part Six, but I did see Ghost Dad, which you should sucks. Yeah, it sucks pretty hard. But I mean the 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 fact that essentially he dies because I'm I'm pretty sure I told you this before that he dies yeah. because uh, a Satanist thinks that he's actually the devil and gets too excited and drives off a bridge yeah, is pretty yeah, good. You tell me that. I'm gonna go through this whole list and not see it, aren't I? This is gonna be the the worst diversion. Oh, you know what's probably good? It looks what? pretty stupid, but it looks good. Amazon Women on the Moon. It's another one of those uh one of those uh omnibus films, right? I feel like I saw it on like cable when I was a kid. It's a good I remember title. not liking it very much, but you know, I was a kid. Yeah, when I was a kid I didn't like mustard either. So You know what's good? It's the great bikini off road adventure. Now there is a film. Uh God, what's the one that I'm thinking of? I think or it's Or Lord of the G Strings. The female ship of the string. Oh uh, no, it's not. I keep. I sometimes I confuse uh, Jim Wynorski with David Dakota. <laughs> uh, that's. I feel like that's unfair. I think Jim Jim Wynorski is a better filmmaker than David Dakota. Oh, I think. I think. I think that. I think you're right. But I think also Jim Wynorski has given up a long time ago. Did you ever see that uh, that documentary about the making of Witches of Breastwick? No, I think you must have talked talked about it. Yeah, it's a. It's a really good documentary, and it's basically just about how he doesn't want to do movies anymore, but he has to make money. So he makes movies in, like, a week. Yeah, Sorority Babes and the Slime Ball Bolarama. I wish that were way better than it is. It's such a great title, and it's got L- Linnea Quigley, but, man, that's a boring movie. Yeah? Yeah, I, I got it because I had a uh, three-disc, not three-disc, a three-movie set of Linnea Quigley films that on the back uh, advertise itself as sexy horror, and... Uh, there's at least two problems things. with that description. It's not scary and it's not sexy? Yes. Okay, so I looked through the entire thing, list of comedies I've downloaded on... Oh, wait, hold on. Here's how we do it. Tom Arnold. Tom Arnold? Tom Arnold. Who's a Q guy, did you know? Yeah, he was on the QAnon podcast, wasn't he? Yeah. That was that was, if that was a fucking wild, um, what do you call it, uh, episode. Highly recommended. Okay, I have no idea what I was looking for. Because I'm looking at all of these and none of them are the correct one. And the stupids, I don't think is it. But I remember very specifically, like, I can conceptualize in my head of a movie poster 
And it's like a painted movie poster of a family of bugs that are dressed in people clothes in front of like a suburban house. If anyone knows what I'm talking about, please like message me because this is going to bother me for a long time. Uh Anyways, uh, (laughs) Indiana Jones, you were saying. Yeah. Well, I think I I, I, I'm okay. Well, if you if you don't know, if for some reason you've been living under a rock since the late eighties, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is the third Indiana Jones film. It co-stars uh, Sean Connery as Harrison Ford's dad. Uh, he goes missing. There's a search for uh, the Holy Grail, and lots of sort of kid-friendly adventure shit happens. That's a good way to put it. And uh, Nazis get disintegrated. Uh, there's a comical vignette involving Hitler. Uh, Hitler fucking shows up. A- I know I say this a lot, but Hitler shows up a lot in these fucking movies. <laughs> He's the muse of IMDb. <laughs> I guess that's one way to put it. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I think it's just kind of like a, 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 a rip roaring, uh, fun adventure movie. Uh, and Steven Spielberg directs the shit out of it. Um, it's 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 like it's like a comfort food movie. There's not a whole lot to it because it's already been done, arguably in a better fashion. But this is, I think, this is kind of just like a fun rollicking piece of sort of big Hollywood filmmaking. Okay, I mean that's my piece. Yeah, I mean, I guess the two things I take issue with, or uh, were I didn't find it that rollicking and I didn't find it that fun. And well, okay, so how are you gonna so how are you gonna argue this? <laughs> Um, I'm going to argue it in two ways. One is I think that the the cinematography uh, the cinematography of the movie I really don't like. Uh, okay, it bummed me the fuck out. I can't even explain exactly why. It's something about the way that the colors are, like the exact way the colors are expressed, especially like um, on the blimp. And okay, is it a blimp or a plane? Uh, well, there's blimp, both right? in the movie. Well, the, there's the, a blimp. The no ticket thing. Okay, that's a blimp. Blimp. Okay, so the colors in the blimp, and then also the colors during the ta- the tank uh, scene uh, towards uh-huh. the end, they Great just scene. bum me like bum me the fuck out. So the so the color grading bums you out. There's something about the color grading and the way it's shot. It feels so. What's the best way to put? It feels the color feels flat, Cheap? but in a way that is like, I'm. Uh, it's one of those things where like, I can I can texturally like feel the color, and it feels like like. Bright sun after a hangover. Okay. In, um, in like a really unpleasant way. Uh, and it is kind of yellowy, the whole Yeah. Movie. But I'm colorblind, so I don't give a shit. <laughs> okay. Um, so I mean, there, there's that. I found like the colors kind of gross. And, okay. And like they look really hurt my head. Like they literally bummed me out, so I couldn't enjoy the movie. And okay. There's the other problem of like you say that, that the movie kind of like never stops, and the movie kind of feels like it's always stopping to me. Interesting. Like it doesn't it doesn't feel like it ever builds up momentum. Even in the big like fight scenes and the action scenes, they feel very sluggish and kind of I don't know. Uh and it's, it's not just to say that like, oh, it's an old movie, so it's sluggish. I think that's a very facile thing. And I think that that's something that could be interpreted for what I'm saying. It's not because of that. Like there's plenty of old movies with like we talked about um what do you call it? Uh The Wages of Fear the other the other uh-huh. week. Um, which is a movie found incredibly exciting. But something about these action scenes just Nothing felt like it had any stakes. Nothing felt like it had any weight to it, and it didn't wasn't fun enough to make up for the fact that I didn't care about it. That's so weird because my thinking of it was that this movie was like all set piece. It like so like this is like a fundamental disagreement. I 
I'm, here's the uh, pulling back the curtain. And something that could have contributed to this that I'm thinking about now is that I was eating Chinese food that wasn't very good while I was watching this. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I, I don't think that that's the entire explanation for how I feel. I do feel if I went back and watched it, I still wouldn't really enjoy it. But I think that okay. maybe contributed to how I was feeling where I was like, uh, this food sucks. These mushrooms are overcooked. And also this movie's on. And then like the two were kind of congealed in my mind. Wow. I, I think I think I think being a critic means being honest and yeah sure uh, I feel like that's that definitely is a contributing factor and I also don't th- I think that Sean Connery can be very funny I think that playing against type here he doesn't work very well and I found him fucking annoying I don't know and I usually like Sean th- Connery like quite a bit yeah me too I think mm. no one here's the thing no one ever asks Sean Connery to try. That is true. They just watch Sean Connery. And this sort of PG-13 twist on Sean Connery, where he like plays like an actual like old guy. He plays an academic. And he plays a, like a fuddy-duddy, essentially. Yeah, he plays a fuddy-duddy. He plays like a, he makes like lame dad jokes, you know? I, was, I, I don't know. I mean, I know, I thought this movie was I, – I was thoroughly under this film's spell. Gotcha. I mean – but. Also, I wasn't eating anything at the time, so. <laughs> um, and then I, I, I'm not sure if we should save this till next time we talk about it because I have a feeling you're going to force this through anyways, uh, even though I wouldn't personally move it through. But should we talk I, about? Let, let, uh, we we'll, let, let's talk about room. Or, okay. Wait a minute. I, I was gonna um, say. I go ahead. <laughs> Shit. I was gonna say. Um, how do you how do you react to like the father son dynamics in this? Is that something that like tugs at you or tugs at your heartstrings or is familiar to you? Because with the father son relationship in the movie, it feels very father son specific, and I felt like as someone who was not a son, it was hard for me to get on the same wavelength. I mean, I mean, obviously, I could, I can. It's not that I cannot empathize with father son relationships like one of the things that will make me cry the most is watching Rushmore and the relationship between Ben Stiller and Gene Hackman like makes me sob uh whenever I watch it it said for some reason in this it felt it didn't wait you mean Royal Tenenbaums yes thank you <laughs> um like, what the fuck okay um continue sorry so I because the father-son relationship is like is it a major part of the movie for you I mean it's a part of the movie but I think it's just color. The quest is always the A plot. The rest is just is just like uh is just dressing. Okay. Um, I mean I, I, I can vibe with an like like I can vibe with like an Amsid T father figure who has Good an obsession that is parallel to yours. Okay. But like it's like it's it, it seems clear to me that neither Jones can, has has struck the balance. I think that's an interesting um, wrinkle in the film, but by no means is it like I don't think of this necessarily as a father son movie. Interesting, even though that's like even though this is it's like the hook, right? Yeah, I was gonna say because like l- when I think of this film in the cultural memory, I think of it as a father son bonding kind of movie. I I think that's part of it, but it's purely it's a movie about adventure and expertise i think uh, he, i think here's also a, re- a real thing is i wanted the clever the i wanted the puzzles to be more clever they i feel, mean they're very facile and they're, they're not even like I mean, entertainingly facile like 
uh, I hate to just cite National Treasure, but I think National Treasure, uh, both movies, like especially the first one, though, is kind of a masterpiece and kind of brilliant in a really dumb way. And it's its puzzles are so dumb, but they require a weird knowledge of American history to work that I find them charming. Whereas, like, in this, like, oh, you have to know that uh, Jehovah spelled with an I, even though when you actually look at the block, it's J. But... Um, you have to like know that. I was like, okay, I don't really. That's fine, I guess. It's not. It's not to the same. It's not what I'm. It's not what I'm looking for. Let's say, I want better puzzles. I don't know. They. I feel like they both kind of follow this weird, like, a point and click adventure game logic, logic to it. Yeah. And yeah, I don't really like. I mean, this is not something that I would put against the screenwriters of the film. Let's put it that way. Okay. So room. We've talked a lot about room. Uh, this is this about Indy Three. Yeah. So let's talk about um the film you did your doctoral thesis on, right? That's how this works. Yes, exactly. We're going to talk about the Tommy Wiseau film Room. Um, so let's get this right out of the way. I think, like, this is the f- this, for both of us. This was the first time that we had seen this movie, correct? Yes. I'd, I'd heard of it the, for a while, but I get the feeling that you and I both not avoided this film. But didn't see it because it was, you know, it was an awards era. It was an awards season player. It was Some an awards, awards season, season player, and it sounded like a fucking bummer. It, yeah, for it sounded dull. For yes. me, it was like okay, another one of these uh, Oscar drama, right? See, I, I, I didn't actually think of it that way personally. Okay, so that was me. Yeah, I, I did think of it as like, oh, this is going to get awards play, but didn't have the same air as like, like when I think of awards season drama, I think of something like A Beautiful Mind. Whereas I was like, I knew this was going to be more okay. raw. I knew this was going to be a little bit more, uh, not as treacly, unflinching yet, and like a little more treak, a little less treacly. Um, mm-hmm. but I still didn't want to watch it because a, it sounded dull. It was mm-hmm. still two hours long of misery, and mm-hmm. if I'm going to watch two hours of misery, I'd prefer it to be heightened melodrama instead of like a realistic story of a thing that basically actually happened. Okay. Uh, and I didn't trust Brie Larson as a dramatic actress. Interesting. Well, because I'd, I'd never really seen her in much. That's true. Have I seen her in anything? I mean, have you seen the Avengers movies? No. Uh, well, not the ones that she was in. Yeah. I mean, she's she, she's good in those. She's as as much as anyone can be good in those in the limited role that they're given. Um, but I didn't have the opinion of her like, oh, she's going to do well. I just didn't think it would happen. Ah, uh, Scott Pilgrim, of course. Who is she in, uh, in Scott Pilgrim? She plays she plays Envy Adams in uh, Scott Pilgrim. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and I think that's the only one. Yeah, that remains the only other film of hers that I've seen. Good flick too. Um, but she's, she's she's good in that. <laughs> she is. She is good in that. But it's not it's not the kind of role that prepares you to play this role. No. Which we should. And to be fair, we should to set be up fair, there was five is. years between those two. Well, yes. Oh uh, yeah. So Room is based on the bestseller by uh, Irish Canadian novelist Emma Donoghue about a um, about a woman who is uh, basically. Locked in a shed and uh, for nearly a decade is kept there and has a son, which is fathered by her uh, her rapist, basically, and uh, endures um, that shit for like seven years. And uh, we'll leave it at that. Okay. Well, and uh, let's just do spoilers like they get out. Oh, yeah. yeah, Spoilers. They get out. But then there's another hour to the movie. Yes. Um, which I'm so um, glad about. Yes. Uh, and this is, um, I sh- we should say, is based off a true story as well. 
Don't yes. look into it unless you want to be incredibly depressed. Yeah, it's not it's not fun. Let's put it yeah. that way. So, uh, so this movie is good. I like this movie. Damn good. I mean, I, I've, I had a real emotional reaction watching watching it. I think we both had the same issue, which we'll get to in a moment. But I think we should do yeah. the positives of it first. Uh, I, it stuck with me like the past few days. I've been thinking about it pretty consistently. Uh, mm-hmm. to the point where I almost want to bump it up to four and a half stars. Except there's that like nagging problem of the thing we didn't like. But mm-hmm. I will say that I was wrong. But Brie Larson completely wrong. She is genuinely stunning in this film. Like if I would have seen this film the year it came out, she probably would have been my favorite actress of the year. It's, it's a very good performance. Ridiculously good. And then Jacob Tremblay, who plays her son, is also mm-hmm. like child actors aren't supposed to be this good. They're just not. Yeah. Homie won a Canadian Screen Award for Best Actor for the for his performance. Yeah, and he's just fucking amazing. Like, uh, there's there's a way to that most child actors would play this, where it's a little overwrought mm-hmm. and it's annoying, and you don't really. And there's a problem that a lot of kids films have, where I can understand where a kid is coming from when they act irrationally or when they act in a way that is frustrating, but it's mm-hmm. still frustrating because I know that this is just a movie. Whereas when he does it, I felt just total empathy for him, and I was like. This is really annoying in the moment, but also, like, I get it. <laughs> like, I get where mm-hmm. you're coming from. I get why you're frustrated. I get why you're mad and why you're crying and why you're yelling right now. Like, it feels so lived in and authentic that it inspired, I mean, almost like like motherly feelings in me towards him. Okay. Um, I thought... <laughs> I'm a little less high on, on this movie than you are. Okay. Uh, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was, like, expertly performed. I, um... The sort of um, thing that you dislike about the child actors that you had just mentioned, I think creeps in in only one instance in the film, and that's the voiceover. Okay. I mean, I, I, I get I get you. I could see why other people might not like that. I actually didn't mind that, but uh, I could see why that would come across as cloying, especially. I think the movie is at least a half star better without the narration. Wow. I don't think it's... I. I I don't, you're, I mean, so to you, it's Blade Runner, essentially. Uh, basically. Whereas, like, I didn't mind the narration at all. I thought it added pretty well, and I thought having that interiority from him worked. But here's the thing. I think I got a lot of that just from the performance. Sure. The Um, one, and I'm going to step on our, I'm going to step on our thing a little bit. It's like, the one thing that Lenny Abramson kind of nails in this film is the close-ups of Jacob Tremblay. Okay, Yes. That's like the one thing. And I mean, I'm one who would usually argue for that point, but for some reason it just didn't bother me this time. Uh, sure. I, I couldn't say why, just a personal preference kind of thing. For me, it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it, it was additive instead of subtractive. Mm-hmm. Probably because it um, was like low rent Malik almost. Yeah. I, like the first thing that I thought of was like, this is like a shittier version of the Thin Red Line. Yeah. Except instead of being... These philosophical musings. No, not 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 Thin Red Line. Uh, Days of Heaven. I haven't seen Thin Red Line yet. <laughs> oh my God, Derek! That's one of the Maliks I haven't seen. Oh boy, how do I do a podcast? With you if you haven't them. seen every single Malik movie. You have to see every I, single I, Malik movie. I think there's three that I haven't seen. Okay. I haven't seen Thin Red Line. I haven't. No, there's more than that. I haven't seen Thin Red Line. Okay. I own it. I haven't seen New World. And you, and you haven't I, seen To the Wonder, have you? I haven't seen To the you Wonder. Haven't and I haven't seen three seen best movies. And I haven't seen Night of Cups. Which is also very good. But you haven't seen his three best movies, which in my opinion are To the Wonder, The New World, and Thin Red Line, which are all fucking incredible. Although, sometimes Thin Red Line switches with Song to Song, which I know I'm extremely high on and you're not, but 
I, I'm okay. I'm, I'm, You're okay I'm on it. You're lukewarm on it. I'm okay on it. Whereas I think it's um, a masterpiece. But. I mean, I th- I think that Terry Malick has like four masterpieces. They're just not the same four. <laughs> yes. Whereas I think that his worst film is Badlands, even though everyone loves that That's movie. insane. It's too normie. Ah. He, I mean, even early on. No, the the, the, the even second early on. the second half of that movie is when he actually becomes Terrence Malick. The first half is when he's being a different director, and it's not good. Yeah, yeah but, but Warren Oates is in that half of the movie. Okay, good for Warren Oates. I don't know what to tell you. <sighs> I don't know, man. That movie's fucking awesome. It's it's it's, it's a four star movie, just like Room. It's as good as Room. Oh no, I I, I like Badlands better than this. Okay, but the point I think that I think I was originally trying to make is that the voiceover works for me, and it has that kind of freed from time uh feeling and sure giving voice to thoughts that i thought helps personally i thought helped bring me into his world and bring me into what he was thinking how he was viewing things but i think even if we ignore those uh something that works really well is the way that these two people uh the mother and the son respond totally differently to both the trauma itself and to coming out of the trauma and to moving yeah i think that's where that's where the movie's strengths lie i think yeah like, uh, I think the first half of this movie is the part that got people to actually watch it, because you hear that sensationalist thing, and it sounds like, oh, I need to watch that. And then the second half of the movie is what actually makes the movie worth it. And not that the first half is bad. I think the first half is very, very good. It's just that if it was just stuck in that room the whole time, it would become it would become overwhelming, because it's already incredibly difficult to deal with as it is, in a good way. Like, it's supposed to be difficult to deal with. It's supposed to be harrowing. Mm-hmm. But it's it would be too much. If it was more than that first hour and having that second hour where they process this trauma and they process what they went through. And there's especially a scene uh, like like the two kind of scenes that really kind of fucked me up. Uh, number one was the scene where she sits down to do the TV interview. Yeah. Uh, and essentially the TV person, the person who's interviewing here is like, well, why didn't you just have him take your son to a hospital so that way he could have lived a normal life? Mm. And it's, it's a simple question. It's kind of a dick question. Uh, I don't think it's a fair question, but it's also but it, a question that's- The kind of question that they would ask. That they would ask. And it's the kind of question that once you hear, sticks in your brain. And, you're like, and you can tell it sticks in Brie Larson's brain. I mean, she tries to kill herself because of it. Because she thinks that she did this terrible thing that she didn't just give her son up. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously in a quote unquote rational sense that's not really how it worked in that situation and blaming her for that in that situation is completely absurd but you understand where she's coming from and how much that upsets her and that kind of was like very difficult for me to deal with and um the other one uh and this is the movie verges on sentimentality at moments i think it's able to push past it and i think it, it works but what i'm going to describe the scene that really hurt me and like uh, or, or really like affected me it's going to sound cheesy. Um, and it's a scene where, uh, like, the entire movie, uh, Jacob Tremblay has really long hair. Because mm-hmm. uh, he thinks, like, that's where his strong is, to use the phrase in mm-hmm. the movie. And uh, his, when his mom goes to the hospital uh, after the suicide attempt. He tells his grandmother, like, hey, I want to cut my hair off and send it to mom to, like, give her my strength, essentially. And then mm-hmm. uh, when she comes back, she, like, shows him that and says, like, you saved me twice. And it's uh, just, like, I was, like, sobbing. It's and it's the kind of thing that should read as cheesy, and I think would read as cheesy in a movie that was less emotionally complex. But because you've seen exactly what's happened with these characters and you know their interiority so well, it comes across as an honest statement of love and motherly affection. Right, and it just it it devastated me. 
And Joan Allen's kind of the secret MVP of this movie, isn't she? Yeah, she's really fucking good. Um, like, like the scene, the key, the key scene where the where it's like, okay, I get it now. Like, I got this. Like, like I got it. But it's like now, I okay, I get it. It's like uh, the scene where it's Brie Larson, Jacob Tremblay, and uh, Joan Allen in the living room, and Joan Allen and Brie Larson fight. Yeah, and she has that like she kind of they kind of have that shouting match. And I was watching the movie in parts with Steph, and she pointed out very correctly that it's good that she has these kind of like seventeen-year-old reactions, like she's reacting to this like a fucking child. Yeah, because that's the last time that she had interaction with like people. Mm-hmm. It's and that was like okay, that's the point where I'm like, okay, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, and it, it does that so well without shoving it in your face. Uh, like the fact that when we go into a room, it's her same room from when she was abducted. <laughs> Like they didn't yep. change anything, and that's that in and of itself is like oh my gosh that is like a gut punch when you see that because it's like oh this is who she was in the past, and there's just there's there's, say- a, there's a, like a period of time just missing essentially from her life, and it's like she's been reinserted into it, and doesn't so, really know what to do. I will say this about this movie: this movie has a real light touch, like pretty much all the way through. It could have been like it could have been very overwrought. It could have been. Uh, it could have been very heavy-handed. Uh, we'll get to heavy-handedness just in a yeah. second. I mean, I agree, except um, for but one I, choice. But sorry, what, uh, what choice? The choice, the fucking post-rock music. Uh, the first time that Jacob Tremblay sees the outside world outside of the shed, like the fucking mog, the Mogvi drop or whatever. Yeah, that is a little overbearing and is. I mean, too obvious. To I me. mean, I, I'm kind of into it because that's how I feel all the time when I do something new. <laughs> That's how I. That's that's the music that goes through my head when I feel overwhelmed. You are always hearing explosions in the sky. Yeah, I'm always hearing. Um, uh, it's it's always the same song. It's always um, fuck. It's always one particular Mogwai song. Mogwai, you're saying? Uh, no, like Herod. Uh, less cool. No, um, Mogwai discography. Young team, what are we doing here? Nope. We're just naming Mogwai songs until we fucking land on the one. Uh, it's um, it's Auto Rock. Okay, from okay, Mr. Okay. Beast. Uh, that's the song I always hear when I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> Did I ever um tell you the joke that I saw in a forum when I was like 16 that still makes me laugh whenever I think about it? What's that? Um, I was on a, like a post rock forum or like like a it was like Ultimate Guitar Forums or something, and I was okay. on there with uh, my friend Marcus who I was in a band with. And we were like looking up something. I don't remember what it was, but someone uh, on the forum said, um, "And this is a really dumb joke, so it's not going to live up to the hype." But <laughs> someone on the forum said, "Post rock is really gay, more like explosions in some guy." Am I right? And whenever I think of that, it makes me smile, and I will like text my friend Marcus and just be like, "Explosions in some guy." Am I right? And it's <laughs> that's got to be like top ten stupidest things I've ever heard in my life. Right? it's like the only thing i remember from uh there's that one uh comedy special it's not really a comedy special it's a let's talk about comedy special between chris rock um louis ck jerry seinfeld Seinfeld and uh ricky Ricky gervais Gervais. and the one thing i always remember from that is the sitting on a cock because i'm gay (laughs) instead of sitting on the talk of the bay (laughs) yeah uh Anyways, uh, should we get to the direction of this film? 
Uh, yeah, Lenny Abramson can't direct himself out of a fucking paper bag. Yeah, oh my god, this thing is cut to fucking ribbons. It is ridiculous. It's no bueno. It is the most over- It's one of the most over-directed films I've seen in a good long while. Yeah, and it's a real bummer. Yeah, because this, like, like I said before, this is a movie with a light touch. But Lenny Abramson does not have a light touch. I have not seen his previous films or any of his other films, including Frank. Roscoe's which is his other Frank, one. And I kind of want to see it because it seems really absurd. It seems weird. I feel like his style is more suited to that material. Yeah. Something less grounded. And apparently Emma Donahue vouched for him. Ooh. Eh. She was like pulling for him. Emma, baby, <laughs> don't do that. Oh, boy. <laughs> Um, like, um, I, I think with a different director at the helm, like, even, even if we change this to something more workmanlike in the direction, I think it goes up a half star it, for me. And I think yeah, if we I change it to a good director, demands... then it's a, I think this might be a, like, five star movie for me if it had a good director. Like, for real. Yeah, yeah, I think if, I think if you get just, like, a carpenter, someone with, like, a little taste and a little restraint, this is a four star movie for me. As it stands, it's a three and a half. It's good. Fair. It's good. I think it's real good, but... So, oh my god, we've talked about this for a while. So, yeah. Um, so, so I think we're at we're at odds. We're we on, at we're odds on different sides of this divide. I want room to move forward. I really want to watch it again. To be honest, um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I would I would one hundred percent rather watch Last Crusade again. <laughs> I would really re- I'd rather rewatch Room. God. Um, and we're both at three. No, we're how the, many videos are we at? You're at three videos. I'm at two. Right. God, you're not going to use another veto. No, but for like, this, are you? No, because like I don't like Room that much. Like, like, like if, if 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 there was a good director behind Room, yes, I would use a veto. But how about how, how about this? Mm-hmm. Let me introduce something on the fly. Okay, I'm going to secretly write down my scores for both of these movies. Okay. Uh. Okay. Now, give me your scores out of five for both of these movies. Um, I would give Room a four. Mm-hmm. And I would give uh, Last Crusade probably a two and a half or three. Let's go with um, – let's be generous. Let's put it go to three. All right. So if in aggregate, if we were to be a single person, oh, God. Okay. room would go on by a hair. That is, uh, now, that is quite the metric, Derek. I mean, there's got to be a way to break these kinds of ties, right? Where so, Where neither of us feels that much – like we're neither of us want to use a veto, well, and I mean we're gonna have more of these ties in the future. Like we're not even halfway through this fucking thing. Um, yeah, not even halfway through the first fucking round, and it's gonna get harder going on. And I think that here's what I'll say: is that um, is it just uh, is Temple of Doom on the list too, or is no? Is it not? I can't imagine it being on the list. Okay, so there's at least one because that's like the because that's like the redheaded stepchild of that. Of that of those first three movies, right? I was gonna say, what about Kingdom of the Crystal Skull or whatever it's called? Is that it? Kingdom uh, of the Crystal yeah, Skull. Yeah, Tem- yeah, Temple Temple of Doom is not on here, and okay. Raiders is and Raiders is a bit further up. It's what is going it up against Na- Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind? Oh fuck! I know. Okay, right? that's a that's a barn burn. So, knowing that, I'm gonna say we can move last Last Crusade forward because I'm gonna have way more passion for Nausicaa than I am going to have for Room. Straight up. Here's the here's the thing though. I'm gonna have a lot more passion for Raiders than I'll have for 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 uh, for Last Crusade. Well, I guess we will kick this can down the road um, and say, Listen, "Hey, I I I am willing to say I 
Oh, God, Nausicaa, huh? Fucking great film. Yeah. I still think I like Raiders better. I mean, I... Th- what do you call it? Nausicaa. I would rather use a veto on Raiders. Here, uh, here's what I'll say. Okay, here, here's me super metagaming. Okay. Is that Nausicaa is basically just rough draft for Mononoke. And Mononoke yes. is better than Nausicaa. Mononoke is moving forward no matter what. I'm using a veto. I'm just going to say it right now. <laughs> like, uh, Mononoke has to move forward. It is... Well, it's a, unless Hotel Rwanda proves to be like an all-time, <laughs> an all-time fucking masterpiece, which I doubt. You, I don't think you'll have to use one. Okay, so um, if we let, let, let's 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 mind palace this. If we move forward, Mononoke, then I'm willing to concede okay. Nausicaa, which means that you get um, Last Crusade Raiders. or Raiders, which means that we don't need to move Last Crusade before, and I should get room. Well, I mean, I, that's basically what I was saying by the fact that as an aggregate person, we like room better. Okay, but mine is more fun. Here's the thing. Princess Mononoke, had, I'm, like, I'm just going through the bracket right now. Its first real challenge is going to be in round three, where I suspect it's going to go up against Boogie Nights. That's a hell of a matchup. Yeah, that's only round three. Oh, fuck. Like, I this, think, this is just I think harder. Mononoke, what are we doing with this podcast? What are we doing with our <laughs> lives, Derek? We're trying to find the best movie of all time, Asterisk. Yes. Um, God. So I'm willing, I'm willing to say, I'm willing to concede and allow room to go forward. Okay. That's fair. For kind of the same reasons that you said. Okay. So room, congratulations. <laughs> uh, what a weird, what a weird result. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I anticipated, but it certainly wasn't this. Now let's move on to something a little easier. Yeah. The help with a, with a bullet. Silver bullet. That's right. Number one. <laughs> yeah, uh, oh God, there's no, there's no way the the help makes it to round three. Even like even in the most generous, uh, the most generous readings of this bracket, it's insane so that the help even made one. it to round zero. That's true. What's it doing in this top? Anyway, anyways, let's not let's let's not tip our hand. Uh, the, our next matchup, our second matchup for the day, the 18 seed, the 18th greatest movie of all time, The Matrix, released in 1999. Directed by the Wachowskis, written by the Wachowskis, starring Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, Carrie Ann Moss, Hugo Weaving, and the man Joey Pants himself. Uh, it cost $63 million to make. It made five, uh, $465 million in uh, pre-Y2K bucks and uh, went, I believe, one for four. At the Acad- oh four for four at the Academy Awards, winning Best Editing, Best Sound, Best Sound Effects Editing, and Best Visual Effects. Uh, and also probably one of the most influential films of the last 30 years, easily. Oh, yeah. Versus The Help, released in 2011, directed by Tate Taylor, uh, written by Tate Taylor, based on the novel of the same name by Catherine Stockett, starring Emma Stone, Viola Davis, Octavia Spencer, Jessica Chastain, Bryce Dallas Howard, and Allison Janney. Uh, cost 25 mil to make, made $216 million. That's a lot of cheddar. Uh, and was an awards season hit, uh, netting all kinds of nominations. It was nominated for, well, only nom- it was only, it got four nominations in three categories, with Octavia Spencer being its sole winner, winning for Best Supporting Actress. So let's talk about The Matrix. Uh, as you pointed out in our last episode, the only film uh, in this list directed by a woman or women. Uh, I, I realized I was slightly wrong. I think it's um, Babel is a is co-directed by a woman. 
Uh, but that's Okay, it. so the only film on this list solely directed by women. Yes. Uh, but thankfully, I get the feeling this one's going to go deep in the bracket. You know what? The Matrix still fucking owns bones. Yeah. It I, rips. I didn't... When I rewatched this, I expected to still really like it. I didn't expect it to like it mm-hmm. as much as I did. Like, this... Every part of this film still fucking rips. Yeah, it's it's fucking fantastic. It's a great... Uh, we 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 I said this right before we turned on our mics, but I'm gonna say it again now. It says for like of like a hyper influential action extrav action martial arts extravaganza. This is kind of a weirdly earnest film about the power of trust and love. Yeah, which I mean, that's one of the characteristics of the Wachowskis that I really love. Is they're very earnest. They are. There's not. They're not really cynical. Like you watch something like Speed Racer, or you watch Claude Atlas, or you watch Jupiter Ascending, which I think is a masterpiece, uh, which I know I'm in the minority there, but still, like those are films that are entirely earnest. And I think even mm-hmm. from Bound and Matrix and The Matrix, like the earliest films, you can see that a hundred percent. It's it's such a rewarding thing to have in a action movie, weirdly, to have this open heartedness and the sense of love as being still incredibly important. And the most important thing one can do is care about other people. Because there's a lot of goofball shit in these movies. Oh, 100%. They're full... Like, if you if you were so inclined, and you were like the... Like, if you're CinemaSins or whatever. Sure. <laughs> if, <laughs> if, if you're a terrible human being, uh, then you can go through and nitpick these movies and really find a lot of A, silly stuff, B, corny stuff, and C, stuff that just doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And I think it's to the Wachowski's credit that... I think they know that, and I think they don't give a shit. Sure. In the best way possible. They're very good craftspeople. Oh, certainly. And they're very good... uh, Well, okay. Let me be slightly hesitant there. I was going to say they're very good writers, but if you read the original draft for The Matrix, Uh, it's pretty fucking terrible. It's... Writing is not their strong suit. World building, they're good at. World building, they're good at. A lot of of the ancillary stuff, they're great at. And I think they get good performances, too. On the... Yeah, on the page, maybe not, but like as a cinematic object, it's like it practically doesn't matter. Yeah. And this movie has such a long cultural tale that it, when you approach it now, it feels a bit strange in a way. Because uh, like the whole, like we are so uh, deep into this movie's cultural penetration that the idea of red pilling is just a term completely divorced from the Matrix. Exactly. And these are terms embraced by people who the Matrix doesn't like, which is kind of fascinating. Exactly. And people who wouldn't like the people who made the Matrix. The fact that the Matrix was made by two trans women and red pilling is something for the right, something for the alt right, and for the extreme alt right, is such a fascinating irony. It's kind of like uh, Pepe, how Pepe got co-opted as well, mm-hmm. uh, except how Pepe kind of fell out of its creator's hands pretty quickly. I feel like. The Matrix is a strong enough work that when you watch it again, those associations kind of fade. Yeah, because all those all those like uh, alt typers, they sound more like agents than Morpheus. Yeah, like uh, like that whole spiel about evolution late yeah. in the movie, <laughs> which I have seen people quote unironically as if they don't oh, realize that he is the fucking villain of the movie. And yeah, I mean to be fair. At one point in time, maybe I was an edgy teen who thought the same thing. It's like, oh yeah, that's a really sure. good point. Um, but the really fascinating thing—but you're an edgy movie, adult now. I'm an adult, 
And I think the fascinating thing about the movie is that it has politics that if you just glance at it, I think might look facile. But if you actually consider them and think about them, they're pretty complicated and complex and revolutionary in a lot of ways. Like there's discussions of like, what is our responsibility towards the people that are in the matrix that don't know they're serving this evil system? What are responsibilities towards these people? Like that's, I think is a fascinating question. Would you choose this? Like that as cheesy as a philosophical subject as it is, if you knew there was a way to know a greater reality, a more true reality, is that the choice you'd make? And This is the movie that launched like a hundred philosophy 101 papers. Yes. And I think for good reason. I think it has a lot to dive into there. And I think when we talk about it more, I'm going to be interested in extracting certain parts of that and talking about them as individual parts because there's a lot to dig into here. Um, Mm. But just watching it on first glance, the thing that really struck me is how cohesive and how iconic it all is. Yeah, it's like, it's... It's kind of amazing whenever a film or any other sort of cultural object is simultaneously a perfect time capsule and a, and like you're at the exact crossroads of the past and the future. This movie like looks like every movie before it, it looks like every movie after it, and yet it is like undeniably its own thing. It launched a million imitators. It gathers from all these sources. It gathers from like anime and kung fu movies and like Hong Kong cinema and shit and just sort of hoovers it all in <laughs> and spits spits out this spits out Kirby style this like unique weird object. Can you imagine paying your money to see the new Keanu Reeves movie? And this is what you see? God, that would be fucking incredible. Can you cuz I in 1999 I was I was I was but a young man. I was not hip to this movie whenever it came out. Had I been just a little bit older, this would have melted my brain. See, I watched I, this I'm all not the, the same time person. As a kid. I saw it a couple times. Thought it was interesting. The sequels were disappointing. Watched the Animatrix a bunch. The Animatrix owns. People need to go back and rewatch the Animatrix. I think it's kind. Here's my contrarian opinion of this one. I think the Animatrix actually might be the best Matrix movie, but that sounds wrong. <laughs> Um, but uh, not saying I'm not saying that your opinion is wrong. I'm just saying that it sounds wrong. <laughs> um, I watched this movie all the time. I had it on VHS as a kid, and I just watched it like over and over and over again. It was one of those movies I just had on a, on a loop. And it's so cool, but it's also so dorky. Yeah, it's a movie that is like has all the aesthetics of cool, like the, like the leather jackets, the like latex outfits, the fucking the rad fucking guns, guns. Uh, the fucking. <laughs> Kung Fu moves and shit. It's like, no, it's, it's, it's a, it's a terminally uncool. It might be the uncoolest cool movie. Yes. It's a movie where a character is brought back to life by the power of love. Yeah. 100%. I thought the exact same thing. Which owns. It's awesome. <laughs> it's kind of awesome. Well, you know, it's not awesome though. We're going to talk about the Matrix yeah, a lot yeah, we more can, We can get podcast. way more into the Matrix and get more into the specifics. Like I really like later want to get into all the side characters. Cause I think all of them are fascinating in their own way. Um, especially I, like I just, Joey I Pants want, is a fascinating character. And that's a fascinating performance too. Joey Pants super great in this movie. I do think that like the heat check in this movie, like the secret MVP, is Gloria Foster as the Oracle. Oh, a hundred percent. I was literally about to mention her next. That scene is from a different movie, but it fits perfectly in the Matrix. It's a scene that the movie like absolutely needs, and they just they nail it perfectly. And she is the reason why. Like she gives the performance that that movie exactly needs at that moment. And it's it's amazing. I mean, and also Hugo Weaving is so good. 
Awesome. This this might be like the career defining performance for Hugo Weaving. Which that's going to be that on is his Hall of Fame wild plan. because he has had a quite the career. Yeah, I know he was in Lord of the Rings. He was in all sorts of shit. It's going to be Agent Smith. Yeah. When I think of Hugo Weaving, I automatically think of he. He was previously on this podcast as V and V for Vendetta. This is the movie that I'm always going to associate Hugo Weaving with. And I mean, it might be the Keanu Reeves one too. Keanu. Keanu has, you know has, a, has a deeper bench and more iconic characters, but I think like if I were to choose, hey, what's what's the Keanu Reeves I, movie? I think I might John go with the Matrix. Um, I think John Wick's too new. I don't know if I can judge it yet. Well, it's like it's got to be like John Wick, Neo, Johnny Utah, Bill. maybe Ted. Ted, yeah, sorry, duh. Bill is Alex Winter. I know this people. I'm not. I, I'm not a faker. Have you seen Freaked? Freaked? No, I have not. Yeah, yeah. The the uh. The, basically, it's Alex Winter's blank check that he did after Bill and Ted. He co-directed this kind of like campy, like splatter gore comedy. Huh. That sounds kind of rad. With like, with like heavy makeup. There's like lots of like makeup effects and practical stuff. I bet you'd be really into it. And I that's been on my to watch list for a while. I am literally googling it right now, so I can look it up later. But now we're going to talk about a different movie that's not as good as Freaked. Probably <laughs> we're going to talk about The Help. Uh, your favorite movie of the list so far, right? Uh, this this movie was a contender, huh? <laughs> this movie's really on this list. Yeah, r- written and directed by Living on a Plantation ass Tate Taylor. Oh boy, how do we how do we approach the help? Ah, uh, okay. So there, there's so many let's... bad parts about it that I literally don't know where to begin. Should we talk about um, the few things that are good? Okay, I think that the cast is very overqualified. Yes, and I think that they're all they're ch- real tucking into this material. Yes. Some of them better than others. Like I think that the best are uh, Chastain, Viola Davis, and um, uh, Chastain's. Yeah, well, yeah, Davis Spencer. I I I was kind of wary about uh, Jessica Chastain's like like Southern bimbo shtick, but it does work. Yeah, it's 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 the least nuanced maybe of the performances. One hundred percent. But it is it's definitely the most fun. She's the only one that's having fun in the movie. Everyone else is fucking miserable. Yeah, um, and uh, I mean, Emma Stone was like fine. Emma Stone has like great natural. Emma Stone's charisma. always like fine. I think we've had this discussion in the chat about how Probably. like there's not like a great Emma Stone performance. There's a bunch of good ones. Yes, I still think that my favorite performance of hers is in Superbad. Thought you were gonna say Aloha. Your favorite? Movie. I didn't see Aloha. <laughs> no one saw Aloha. But um, uh, a lot of people go to bat for that. Yeah, fucking weirdos. Like that's that's one of those I... film Twitter things I don't get. Like. To be fair, I haven't seen Aloha. I'm not gonna watch Aloha. I'm not doing this. Like I'm this that, that's a bridge too far. Like this far, no further. The, I'm not on, watching Aloha. Is it on the list? It's probably not on the list. It's not on the fucking list. Everyone hated it. It's it's only uh, fucking no, it's freaks on film Twitter who think that Aloha is good. <laughs> Cameron Crowe Cameron Crow completist? God, I fucking hate Cameron Crowe so much. He's never made a good movie. What almost is, famous is pretty good. No, it's not. But okay. We're oh, not talking on. about almost famous. We're talking about the help. <laughs> oh shit! I, I just remembered that I had uh, a, a tab open to make a joke to refer to something from like 15 minutes ago. So I'll just do it now. Okay. More, more like the fire in our cocks will beckon the thaw. Oh boy, that yeah. Ugh, I'm really like. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. Well, I are tried. you proud of that one? Ah, uh, I'm sure I could have done better, but okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> did you think that Tate Taylor was proud of the help? Um, here's the thing. I read on the Wikipedia page that 
I th- I think that Octavia I-, I think that Octavia Spencer did this as a solid to her friend Tay Taylor. Yes, because apparently they were friends or are friends. Um, well, they're not Tay our Taylor. Friends. I don't know. They're not our friends. Um, Tay Taylor, not the worst director. I think he directed this better than Lenny Abramson directed Room. Sure, he- he's he's functional. He's he's competent. Um, but the real the real problem with this film is the script. The real problem with the film is like the incident. Like, here's my thing. We should, we should say what the plot of this movie is real quick. Just so people know, in okay. case you don't know what the help is about. Okay, so Emma Stone is a young and up-and-coming writer. She gets a job as a journalist uh, writing bullshit. Um, and Okay, pause on that real quick. I want to come back to that. Like, put a pin in that on the writing bullshit mm-hmm. thing, but continue. Well, she thinks it's bullshit. Anyway, um, so... Concordant with her trying to get a gig after graduating from Ole Miss, we have the stories of two maids, Octavia Spencer and Viola Davis, and they're working for white families, and they're basically raising raising the families, and the white ladies are not – they're not very nice. Let's put it that way. And through a series of events, it comes to pass that Emma Stone wants to uh, tell the world the story of what it is – for black maids to raise white children in Jackson, Mississippi, where the movie is set. Um, basically, basically turning this into kind of a Hamaic clef. Yes. Um, and all sorts of racist shit happens also in the movie. <laughs> because it's like 1962. And I think and that it's Jackson, you need Mississippi. a certain... It's Jackson, Mississippi. You need an angle or a, sp- a specific kind of angle or a specific kind of touch when dealing with civil rights era material. And Tate Taylor has neither. There's a lot of problems with this premise. There's a lot of problems with this movie, but I think like the, the one that kind of fascinates me the most. And the one that I think is maybe the biggest problem, or at least the most glaring problem to me is that I think there's an interesting story conceptually somewhere in here. Like the idea of uh, black maids caring for white children, essentially being their mothers and being more of their mothers than their actual mothers. Than their mothers. Yeah. Is is fascinating and heartbreaking. Like there's a scene later on that I think is one of the best scenes in the film, even though it's it's treacly uh, bullshit. But where um, I forget who I forget which character it is, but one of the one of the two um, uh, one of the two other leads, either Villa Davis or Octavia Spencer, has to leave her charge. Uh, has to has to. Leave. I believe it is. I believe it is Viola. Uh, I believe it is Viola Davis. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, has to leave the the kid that she's been taking care of, and that kid. Yeah cares more about her leaving than anything that happened with her mom. Yeah. And that there, like when I saw that scene, I was like, Hmm, I'm not affected by this because I mean, literally in a sense, but I mean, I'm not emotionally affected by it because this is being done poorly, but I feel like there's a good movie here where this could be fascinating. The problem is that this is a movie about Viola Davis and Octavia Spencer where Viola Davis and Octavia Spencer are side characters. Yeah, basically, this is an the, the main character in this movie is Emma Stone. Yeah, it's it's a, it's it's like a, such a weird construction, and it, it approaches the entire thing from the point of view of all the white characters. And yes, the moments where it's it becomes interesting is when it stops doing that for a second, or mm-hmm. when uh, there is more of a one-on-one interaction. Like I think the interactions uh, between Octavia Spencer and Jessica Chastain uh-huh. are really good. Yeah. Um, the most genuine kind of human moments in the film. Yes. 
But at the same time, it's also Jessica Chastain being the white person that every white person in the audience thinks they'd be, where they're just cool with black people, even though it's 1963 in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh And that is one of the biggest problems with the movie as a whole. It it basically doesn't see structural racism as a thing. It sees... Mm. Uh, there's a bunch, essentially yep. it's like, hey, there's a bunch of individual people that need to be fixed instead of saying, hey, this whole society is a problem. Yeah, Bryce Dallas Howard plays like just a cartoon evil bad guy in this movie. It's like, this is, this is the mean racist person, right? Not everyone else. Yeah. And even, even though they are. I think a better version of this movie implicates Emma Stone more. Because Emma Stone yes. essentially gets off scot-free. Even like, there's a couple awkward things in the beginning but then she and then she's the one who like feels bad for the maid that raised her who her mom sent off in a fit of uh racism. <laughs> I mean that's basically what happened. A fit of racism happens and then uh, Yeah, but yeah, uh, the thing is like the fact that there were other racists there forced me to be more racist than I normally would be because Allison Janney's character is already painted as racist beforehand. Yeah. <sighs> so um so, so, what is with the what is with the fried chicken late motif in this? God, yeah, that is that is another thing that like, hey, maybe just think about this for a moment. <laughs> like, hey, director, like, look at what this looks like. Like that means Tate Taylor wrote this for her for his friend, and then made his friend fucking take a piece of fried chicken in anger, practically off screen, and just hoover it down like a cartoon character to underline a point. Yeah, it's insane. This movie was not very good, Isabel. No, I mean, and this, oh, we, you know we, what, we didn't even you know talk about the, the poop thing? pie. The poop pie, the toilets on the lawn. I think what I what I said in the chat is, is is that this is a white Lee Daniels movie, which I think gives it more credit than it's worth. Because <laughs> at least like the paper and, boy is insane. The help right, wants like, to be insane, and it's not. Yeah, this feigns towards being a white Lee, da- uh, Lee Daniels movie. There's like the poop pie. Uh, there's the toilets on the lawn, which was like. A very clunky joke because it, it's all based on the fact that the word uh, "coats" was in a newsletter, a racist newsletter that Emma Stone had to like include, like, uh, it, like, uh, like, like, uh, basically she's typing up copy for a newsletter, yeah, and she like whited out the word "coat" or "coats" for commodes. That's a real plot <laughs> point, everybody. That's a that's real a real plot, plot point. point. And then there's a their fucking kid takes a shit on the lawn or on the toilet on the lawn. And five seconds after that, there's like this intense moment that Isabel was talking about just now. Oh, God. This is an insane movie for dumb people. Full of great actresses. The, the cast is stacked. Every redhead you love is in this movie. Because let's go down well, to Amy the Adams white cast list. No, the only one not there is Amy Adams. But we do have... Uh, Emma Stone, Jessica Chastain, Bryce Dallas Howard, Sissy Spacek, Allison Janney. I also like now Sp- when you. I was gonna say I, I liked Sissy Spacek's role as well. Yeah, she 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 was like the old fart who, the old fart who didn't really give a rat's ass. Yeah, um, um, she's in, she's in, she's barely in this movie. Yeah, she's in like like three scenes, and one of them is just to laugh at the person eating the poop. <sighs> this movie's fucking stupid. <laughs> um, and it's like like as you're talking about this, one thing I just thought of again. Is there's a essentially there's a thing that happens. I'm not gonna go in super into the plot because it doesn't really matter. There's a oh shit, I think I know what you're talking about. There's a thing that happens where I don't think that we're talking about the same thing, but you're free to bring up your thing next. Uh, where oh. essentially uh, all the other 
um, people in the black community didn't want to help Emma Stone with her project because it's dangerous. Like very literally right. very dangerous. <laughs> like that's uh, uh, but an incident happens that inspires all of them to help with this project and to contribute their stories. And we see like half of one of those stories and then we go away from them. And I'm like, wait, 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 what are we doing? This is the whole interesting part of the movie. Like, I want to know these people's stories. Isn't that the whole point of this movie is for me to learn these people's stories? But no, like it just flashes away from it in a second while Emma Stone looks pensively and like with interest at people who are saying things that I want to hear. Yeah, we don't really get into like Octavia Spencer's abusive husband. Yeah, that's that's like a that's a plot point that barely exists in the film, but it feels like it's supposed to be a bigger part of it. Like it's mm-hmm. implied once, and then at the end, it's like, oh, and she got out of that relationship. But like, no, I, <laughs> the thing that the thing that I was thinking about was, uh, let me just ring the uh, spoiler alarm when she burns the fried chicken. No, no, it wasn't the fried chicken. It was uh, Jessica Chastain's uh, miscarriage oh, graveyard God, trees. Fuck, that's a real thing too. Her fucking miscarriage garden. Which which black metal bands out there? That one you can get take that one for free. <laughs> and not to qu- it's- quibble with the plot points of of this movie, but also there's a moment in this where um, Octavia Spencer like fucking rams through a door to get to Jessica Chastain. <laughs> what the That's fuck she is fucking that? Charles Bron- she fucking Charles Bronson's through a door. <laughs> She's like slams through the door and then she, she's like Ch- Jessica Chastain on the ground like covered in blood because she had another miscarriage. It's the weirdest, most jarring thing, but it barely is a blip in the movie because – and okay, another thing about Jessica Chastain's character. <laughs> so there's just so much to talk about this movie. It's in way it's, it's, it's a way it is a perfect movie for us because there's so much to talk about. But uh, there's – It's perfect because it sucks ass. There's a part in the movie where Jessica Chastain's character goes to like a society dinner. I think, I think it's for like Christmas or something. And there's like a yeah some bullshit yeah there's like a silent auction or something and I won't I won't lie I won't lie to you I was kind of checked out I was not in I was kind of checked out at that point um and there's a segment where or in that segment I kept thinking oh Jessica Chastain's character is up to something there's a layer to this that I'm not seeing and there's going to be a reveal because she's like palling around and acting very drunk towards characters that she knows doesn't like her. And she, right. she knows, thinks that she's a piece of shit and, like, a terrible person. And it seems like there's going to be, like, they're, they're setting something up. But nope, she was just drunk. And that's kind of the whole movie. Like, like or, or that's the whole scene. Like, oh, yeah, she was drunk. Okay. Uh, it's such a weird character choice because it feels like there's something leading to it. It just does nothing. It's, um, it's not good. Um, it's- if, 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 if I may, to close this discussion of the help up. Please do. Um, I'm going to read um, part of uh, an open letter from the Association of Black Women Historians, uh, written by right. Ida E. Jones. Uh, this was oh, you did some homework. Yeah. I like this. This was the last. Parag- I like the ones where you prepare. <laughs> this was the last paragraph of her statement, and I feel like it's better to let her close out this than us two white people talking about it. Yeah, and one of them not being American at all. Yeah. Uh, so uh, she says, "We respect the stellar performances of the African American actresses in the film." Indeed, this statement is in no way a criticism of their talent. It is, however, an attempt to to provide context for this popular rendition of black life in the Jim Crow South. In the end, The Help is not a story about the millions of hardworking and dignified black women who labored in white homes to support their families and communities. Rather, it is a coming-of-age story of a white protagonist who uses myths about the lives of black women to make sense of her own. 
The Association of Black Women Historians finds it unacceptable for either this book or this film to strip black women's lives of historical accuracy for the sake of entertainment. And I, I think mean, that's fair. a good way to say that the help is not moving forward. No, congratulations to the Matrix. You you got a bit of a cakewalk in round one, but you you move on. Which we will throw that uh, that press statement into the show notes, by the way. All right. Uh, so that means for the for uh, round two, we have set up a matchup of uh, Room versus the Matrix. Okay, I'm I feeling I know it wins. Yeah, me too. But who knows? You might that that little extra star might that you were talking about might creep up in the next uh, in the next round. We'll see. Lots I, of things can happen in like the year and a half it's going to take for us to get to this point. <laughs> I mean, what was the thing that opened happened last episode? The movie I wanted to move forward was it uh, was it uh, Hashi that you wanted to move forward? Yes. So who God, knows? What a, like, uh, I mean, I think, I think. The Help is a culturally worst movie, but I'd be lying if I said it pissed me off more than Hashi did. Really? That's yeah. fascinating. The filmmaking in Hashi is so bad. Yeah, At least Tate Taylor is puppy. What's that? There's a cute puppy. <sighs> I'm sorry that I like animals. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so, so, do we have... Do we have any kind of uh, ancillary material before we go to plugs? Well, we've gone a while, so um, we're going to skip the what do you call it the 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 thing where I read for the, a while the fan fiction today because we've been recording for two hours for one podcast nearly two hours. Um, yeah, we had a lot to say. Yeah, so uh, what I do want to do is we have a new review on iTunes, there, Derek. <laughs> we do. We sure do. Uh, it's from a mysterious person. I have no idea who it could be. Definitely isn't my dad. All um, right, and I wanted to read parts of it, and uh, you know, just respond in our in our own way. Okay, so all right, uh, I'm not gonna read the whole thing because it's a rather long review. Uh, thank you, person who isn't my dad, but uh, so thanks, not thanks, not Isabel's dad. Uh, there are three points that this anonymous reviewer needs to make. Number one, <laughs> Derek, under no circumstances is Tulane Blacktop to be referred to as a good movie, even as it relates to engines. Grand Prix is what you should reference when comparing the F1 movie Rush motor photography. I've never seen Tulane Blacktop. Uh, Derek, please defend Tulane Blacktop. Uh, Tulane Blacktop was a formative film uh, formative film in my education as a cinephile. Uh, I will invite you to go fuck yourself with that opinion. <laughs> uh, uh, Tulane Blacktop is a fantastic film, a great, bu- a, a great bummer 70s film, a great sort of minimalist car movie. Although, I will take your recommendation and watch Grand Prix. Yeah, I do want to watch Grand Prix now, too. It's weird. So, uh, I don't no, like cars, t- but I think Tulane Blacktop is a fucking like car masterpiece. Movies. Car movies are cool. And it's kind of like I don't care for sports, but or at least most sports, but I like sports movies sometimes. Yeah, I mean, sports kind of have like a built-in narrative structure in them. Yeah. Uh, but number two, Isabel, the Stargate sequence in 2001 A Space Oddity it, uh, is 457 of wasted film. Additionally... Ah, fuck that. What additionally, the, the first Star Trek movie has a scene where the Enterprise's approach uh, to uh, Vega's core lasts as long as one would think crossing 82 astronomical units in a Yugo might take. Finally, I don't understand how Hall didn't even get a Best Actor nomination. I agree with that one. But, no, that uh, uh, Stargate sequence is, like I said in the in our discussion, is the maybe the pen, the ultimate sequence in, there, in any film. It's incredible. Probably. It's up there. Um, and you know what? I, I think I've, I, um, I have it on good authority that that first Star Trek movie is a weed dad movie par excellence. So that's also in my queue. <laughs> you haven't seen it? 
I have not. I haven't seen any of the Star Trek movies. Wow. That is, uh, that's, that's, that's actually shocking. not true. I actually saw the first of the new batch. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, that movie's fine, which I guess. Was, which is fine. It's perfectly okay. I like Keith Urban in that. Uh, yeah, he's really good. I like I like Simon Pegg, who's a very underrated actor. Yeah. Um, you, you like him most in uh, Ready Player One, though. I didn't even know he was in that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you should you should watch the Star Trek movies. At least like the, they're pretty good. Especially like obviously Search for Spock and uh, what's the one before that? Uh, Wrath of Khan. Wrath uh, of Khan is a really great. Wrath film. of Khan. And so the first three basically. Oh uh, well, the first one isn't the best. Let's say. I I am down for like a overlong bong rip of a sci-fi film. Okay. Um, speaking of bong rips, so uh, <laughs> person who isn't my dad. Also said, Isabel, <laughs> you often make my head hurt. I love you to death, but oh, if you're no. going to continue uh, your sex life on air, please send me a powerful jar of medical marijuana. <laughs> Which, sorry, Dad, <laughs> that's going to continue to happen because a, the people love it. People love hearing about the people can't people can't get enough <laughs> of it. And two, I actually want to almost address this kind of half seriously for a second. Which is, uh, even though I know that my dad listens to this podcast. I have to act as if he is not listening to this podcast or else I would not be as uninhibited as I am when recording it, which leads to better material. So, sorry, Dad, I have to pretend you don't exist. Or a person who isn't my dad, but a person who might speak for my dad's wishes. Um, I have to continue I mean, I to pretend you're not listening or else I will stop making good jokes. I can't imagine this podcast with all of the sex talk. Right? It's, it feels like an essential part at this point. Especially, I mean, who knows now that um, – oh, I shouldn't actually say that on air. I was gonna uh, let's say there's a secret project brewing that might involve me talking more about my sex life, sure, uh, with someone else who also has a lot to say about their sex life. Uh, someone that peop- if you know me and you know Isabel, you might know who you might know who this third person is. Yes, um, we're both uh, we're both quite familiar with this other person. And then finally, uh, from person who isn't my dad, Derek, you hang around a bad crowd, but you're an adult. <laughs> stay happy, watch movies. <laughs> Which I have to assume that that bad crowd is me. <laughs> Also, I love that he butchered our catchphrase at the end. Yeah, it's great. Um, Derek, am I a bad influence on you? Um, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I'm my, I'm my own man. I can make my own decisions. I, I that, This is why I think I'm not a bad influence on Derek, because I have not influenced him to do anything. I have told him about many things, but I don't think yeah. that Derek has been to any sex dungeons since I last spoke about them. Not recently. Uh, or taken any hallucinogens. No, I'm still uh, 100% hallucinogen free. Uh, maybe you'll come down to De- Denver sometime. We'll fix that. But maybe maybe I'll get just maybe I'll get all shroomed up. <laughs> we'll do an episode like that. Sounds terrible. <laughs> Sounds like fucking unlistenable, like legitimately. Okay, so what do you want to do is you want to get me all zapped up on shrooms there in the Rocky Mountains and record me? <laughs> Oof, I don't know about that. Um. So yeah, that's a, that. That was our uh, fun new review. If you want to leave a review for our podcast, we would not dislike that. No, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a message, leave us a rating, and um, criticize our takes. I guess. Yeah, I mean, question hey, our life we, choices. We can handle it. Yeah, we're adults, right? Um, if you want to get in touch with us in a slightly less roundabout way, you can get uh, in touch with us on Twitter. You can contact me at Derek underscore G. You can contact Isabel at Space Jam Fan. And you can contact the show at Metal Brow Pod. You can also drop the pod a line using uh, your email client of choice uh, by typing in middlebrowmadness at gmail.com into that send field and then filling out the body with whatever it is you want to tell us. 
you can also find us on Letterboxd. Uh, we are both at the handles that we use for Twitter. So I am at uh, I am at letterbox.com slash Derek underscore G. Isabel is at letterbox.com slash Space Jam Fan. Uh, follow, Al, uh, listen to all the other shows on the uh, Noise Space Podcast Network. Uh, you can find our show there. The website is noisespace.xyz. Um, can I real quick, actually, I know we don't usually do this, but can I shout out a podcast that's not on our network real quick? Yeah. Um, I've been listening recently to Know Your Enemy, uh, which is a podcast about the history of uh, conservative thought, but told by two leftists, including one who actually grew up in uh, like conservative academia and went to like college as a conservative and then became a leftist afterwards. It's a really fascinating podcast if you're a nerd like me who's interested in political history and political theory. Uh, one of the most recent episodes um, is a history of the Chicago School of Economics. Uh, if you're into that kind of nerd shit, highly recommended. I, I feel pressured, so I'm going to recommend a podcast of my own. For sure. Uh, a podcast that's not the network. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of episodes of the Important Cinema Club podcast. I actually have been too recently. Justin- uh, hosted by Justin DeClue and uh, your 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 fave uh, Isabel Will Sloan, a couple of Torontonians. Yes, uh, who talk about uh, uh, let's let's put it this way their their show is a lot more tight than ours. Yes, they have less di- <laughs> uh, diversions. Let's say digressions. Uh, I also I guess while I'm at it, I also like to shout out uh, Gold Ninja Video, Justin DeClue's sort of bespoke um, uh, distribution label. I bought a couple of movies from there. A couple of we- a couple of weeks ago, one called Local Legends, one called Mango Shake that I highly anticipate viewing. <laughs> so uh, go listen to their show. Listen to our show. Go back in our back catalog. There's some good shit in there. Uh, I hotly anticipate part four of your uh, fan fiction opus. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Who knows? Anything can happen. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. Uh, I think that's it, right? That's got to be it. It's it's been two hours. Yeah, now. we we gotta we gotta stop this. This is ridiculous at this point. Um, yeah. <laughs> Until next time, I've been mm. Isabel Arf. Are you sure about that? You sounded hesitant. What? Are you sure about that? You sounded hesitant. Hesitant about what? Your name. Uh, pretty... Isabel Arf, is that... did I say that the first time? Did I say something else? Yeah. No, no, you said it. You just said it kind of like like haltingly. This is the worst of having to sell a bit. I've been <sighs> Isabel Arf. And I've been Derek Gaudet. Have movies be jolly, and I'm sorry for <laughs> ruining the bit. <laughs> Have movies be jolly. Good... Night, everybody. (laughs) Good night.